One way to think of it maybe is just, you know, you're think of it like electricity. I don't know if that, that analogy helps, right? So if the cell's got the electricity it needs to operate, then the, the muscle cells are going to contract. And if you make them contract harder, they'll get bigger. So how can that, how can creatine then turn around and help a neuron or gut cell? Because the gut cell wants to produce proteins to maintain the gut tight junction. Um, and it's other features like transporting things from the digestive tract into the circulation. Those require transport proteins. And so it needs electricity to do its job. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Reinvent Health podcast. Here we get to chat to some of the world's most interesting and influential people about everything to do with physical, mental and spiritual well-being. If you want to make healthy changes and live a better life, you are in the right place. Please don't forget to rate, leave a review, and share with everyone who wants to live their best life. And now your host, Nikki Robertson. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Reinvent Health podcast. I've always been fascinated by creatine, thought by many to be the exclusive domain of bodybuilders, and there's no shortage of urban legend and controversy around creatine. Yet, did you know that creatine can actually repair damaged nerves in the ear? It is particularly helpful for people suffering with acute gut problems, and it is one of the most important nutrients required for healthy brain aging. This episode is brought to you by Live Well and Thrive, my new book, available everywhere. In the book, you will find over 80 delicious, healthy recipes, as well as all of the tools and tricks that it takes to change your entire lifestyle for the better, including managing stress, getting better quality sleep, and the importance of daily movement. In today's episode, I'm joined by Doug Cook, otherwise known as the Gut Brain Guy. Doug is a registered dietitian, integrative and functional nutritionist specializing in brain health. Today, we're going to discuss everything to do with creatine, specifically as it relates to the gut brain axis. Doug, welcome to the Reinvent Health Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's a fun topic to, topic to talk about for sure. So just by way of introduction, if you could take us through you know, we, you're, you're a registered dietitian. What inspired you to study dietetics way back when you did? And what were the limitations of dietetics and what led you to sort of look further and ask more questions? So I grew, I always, my story, I, I know I never thought I had a story, but I guess everyone has a story. So I, I always say I grew up in the kitchen with my mother and my grandmother. And um, I didn't know it at the time that my grandmother, every country has some kind of food guide or food rules, was, was dropping little nuggets out of Canada's first food rules from the you know, 40s and 50s. And so I got these little nuggets of, you know, eat more fiber or roughage, more, you know, get one dark green, one dark orange vegetable a day and that type of thing. So I grew up in the kitchen. I was very comfortable with cooking. I had some kind of a neat maybe internalized messages around food and health. And then when my mom got sick, I kind of dove in a little deeper into that. I was still young. I was 15, 16. Um, and I just kind of dove in and explored all these different venues or uh, different places back in those days where I could find information on nutrition. Sure. And 
after years of kind of putting off the inevitable, I went back to school to study nutrition, not dietetics. I didn't even know what the word dietitian was. Um, but I went back to where I thought you go to learn about a topic because I already had a, a university experience. So I went back to university to study nutrition and then fell into dietetics to become a dietitian. So in Canada, what is the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? I get asked this all the time, um, but from your point of view, what is the difference? Well, um, the way I frame it, like we're regulated. So we have a regulatory body um, that oversees our practice, like a doctor or an optometrist or dentist. So the way I put it is all dietitians are nutritionists, but not all nutritionists are dietitians. And that is not a um, an ism. There's no you know professionalism or elitism around that. Dietetics, the way I look at it, uh, professionally trains me to work within Canada's healthcare system, right. uh, which is like hospitals and community health centers. So there's special training to work within that context. Obviously, without that training, you couldn't work in surgery or the ICU. But it I don't like the tension between nutritionists and dietitians because dietitians are kind of, at least here, um, positioned to be the credible nutrition expert. Uh, nobody is, right? We all have our expertise and knowledge. And uh, yeah. yeah, you don't need to be a dietitian to understand nutritional biochemistry, for example. Of course. Okay. And then your career progressed into integrative health and functional nutrition, which is, I guess, really becoming mainstream, especially in the last three years, um, where we're seeing people realizing that there's no one diet, there's no one rule for everybody. Um, from my perspective, I believe it's really important for people to become their own nutritionists and learn to understand their bodies. Um, and I'm sure you can agree, you know, if we can pin ourselves to any one methodology is we need to eat more real food, food that we make ourselves and we know where the ingredients come from. So what is your your sort of ethos and your, where do you go with that along those lines, what, your, your sort of ethic that guides you in terms of what people should be eating? Yeah, so it's it's evolving. It's It's changed over the years. When I went to school, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I thought, you know, schools like universities would have the, um, they wouldn't own the, the knowledge, but I figured they would have the best available vetted knowledge. And so I kind of bought into the idea of, you know, the food guide for food groups, most countries have similar. Mm -hmm. And I realized that it really was not aligned with my Kind of intuitive sense of how the body works you know when i think about it there's nothing woo woo about it it's just physiology anatomy and biochemistry and so i yeah. thought that nutrition can do more than just general healthy eating principles um and dietetics the way i frame it is it, it helps people achieve uh, healthy eating within the context or limitations of a particular disease state so but it doesn't necessarily focus on Mm -hmm. um optimizing mm -hmm. health mm -hmm. per se and so i just intuitively got a sense that there was more to the story and that's when i kind of stumbled into functional integrative and functional nutrition and i guess my ethos is i don't want to put a label on it but i just have this idea that mm. um eating 
wholesome food as much as possible is the way to go. Yeah. Um, I don't, I understand why people don't want to demonize food uh, or call junk food um, because we live in a landscape where this food's products are not going anywhere. So yeah. some people say natural nutrition, some people say ancestral nutrition, some people say eat like a human or eat, eat in alignment with our DNA, but that's really kind of the focus. It really is just kind of going back to that nutrition that supported evolution and um, yeah. whatever comes with that statement comes with that yeah. statement in terms of criticisms. That's just the way it is. But um, I do think there are junk foods and bad foods. Mm. Um, that's the long answer to your question. I'm kind of no, 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 that's, that's really, that, that's it. There's no, there's no short answer to that question. It is, you know, it's, it is a bit of a complex you know, topic. So yeah, that makes complete sense. So I went and did a little bit of research. I was hunting the web for information on creatine. Um, most people listening, you say creatine and they go, oh my goodness, that's so bad for you. It's a, it's a steroid. That's what people take when they want to put on muscle. Children shouldn't have creatine. Um, women shouldn't have creatine. It's like, no one really knows the layperson understands the mechanism of what creatine is. And I mean, I've been taking creatine for at least 20 years uh, because I train, I train six days a week. Um, but also over time, I became aware of the brain benefits and the gut benefits of creatine. So I did a little bit of research and what popped up was a blog post that you had um, put out, I think it was in 2017, um, and it was really, really interesting. And this is how I found you on Instagram and made contact. So what I'd love to do is really debunk the myths around what creatine is and look into the health benefits and why we really should be looking at supplementing creatine, especially people who can't digest red meat or don't eat red meat or anybody, in fact, um, if they want to age well and healthily and preserve their brain power. What? Why do you think, I mean, it's a silly question, I suppose. Yeah. Why do you think there's so much misconception about creatine? But I think the bodybuilding industry creates misconception because we see people who look ridiculous. They don't look like human beings. They've got superpowers, strength, lots of muscles, and almost everything that is branded, labeled as a bodybuilding supplement is almost seen as a little bit, people see it with apprehension. So yeah. what is the origin of that? Yeah, I think the origin is around marketing because you may have heard the expression of fitness models. So you have these people who have what is deemed by certain folks as to be a desirable body shape. So guys, it's going to be like really ripped and muscly and women are quite lean and they're in this, they're, uh, they're whatever sports bras and and you know, kind of like a beach volleyball player outfit yeah. for the women and the guys are just in shorts and they're all ripped and they're selling anything. I remember back in the 90s, protein powders, HMB, any kind of uh, supplement yeah. to support working out. And then the connection is obvious. That's why they do it. It's psychology is you make that association. If I take that, I'll look like that. So creatine, mm -hmm. I don't know the history per se, but somewhere back 40, 50 years ago, um, through the study of metabolism, uh, creatine's role in energy production was uh, discovered. And then obviously somebody had the idea is if we can increase the muscle, muscle, muscle concentration of creatine, could that help with exercise? And lo and behold, yes, it does. 
And so the first adopters, the early adopters were bodybuilders. And then from there, there's a lot of misconceptions. And as you say, people um, think it's dangerous. There's all these myths around liver health, kidney health. They think it's a steroid. It's absolutely not a steroid. Um, And so that's where that comes from. So as I understand, creatine is hydrophilic. So it attracts water and takes that water, that fluid and pops it into the muscle cell. So that muscle cell gets bigger. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, um, it's more efficient at sort of shuttling nutrition. I could be wrong about this, specifically amino acids into that muscle for repair and recovery. And this is why in conjunction with exercise and in conjunction with um, a really well thought out nutrition plan, people put on muscle mass. Um, So that is the, the most, in my mind, the most simplistic simplistic mechan- sort of mechanism of why you would take creatine is to create cell volume. Am I right? Yeah, that's that's part of it for sure. And if I just step back, I don't think I kind of answered your question, but what people need to understand is sometimes creatine is classified as a pseudo amino acid. So amino acids come from protein digestion. So there's 22 amino acids, depending how they're assembled, they make up the human body, bone, muscle, tendons, hair, so the liver produces creatine from three amino acids that we get from food, um, methionine, arginine, and glycine. And then we get it from diet, primarily meat protein. So that goes out into the bloodstream. It's transported into all different types of cells. And then it's, it, it's a, a phosphate molecule is attached to creatine. So you may come across this word phosphocreatine or creatine phosphate. Right. And so all cells primarily re- rely on an energy molecule called ATP. This goes back to kind of university mm-hmm. uh, biochemistry. And so when you contract, like if I'm flailing my arms around, ATP is causing the muscle cells to move. It's giving it the energy. But when it do- does so, it uses it, it loses a phosphate. And so what creatine does is it takes it's, it gives its phosphate back so it could, the muscle can make more ATP. So the more creatine phosphate you have in the muscle, the more of a larger bank account, maybe that works, yes. of extra phosphate is available so muscles can regenerate ATP. So what happens um, from an energy point of view is that you're able to squeeze out maybe one or two extra reps. And if you do that over the course of maybe four or five sets, Right. And then you're able to do that over weeks and months. You can put on more muscle on the, in the long run. So you can actually support muscle protein synthesis because you're giving the muscles the energy to do the work, okay. which stimulates muscle synthesis. And then the other criticism as well, you just look bigger because it pulls water into the cell. And that's true, but that's also okay. It actually is a way to hydrate the muscle. Yeah. So the fact that there's more muscle on board, as you say, is perfectly fine. It, it, yeah. it literally hydrates the muscle and, and a properly hydrated cell works better as well. Sure. So a little bit of the weight gain is going to be fluid, but that's not to be confused with muscle. Muscle Building true muscle is still a slowish process. Right. Um, you still see a crazy ad saying, you know, you can put on eight or 12 pounds in three months. Well, the scale might move, but that doesn't mean that you've grown muscle if you did a DEXA scan to look at your body composition. Sure, sure. So that's not bad in of, in of itself. It just has to kind of be properly positioned or framed, I think. Okay. And then the stories and myths around kidney health and liver health. 
I remember back in the early 90s when creatine monohydrate needed to be mixed up with grape juice so that it would, I don't know, there were all sorts of methods, you know, you needed some kind of fructose or glucose to get it into the cell, otherwise you'd excrete it. And people were saying they had creatine crystals when they urinated. I really doubt that was true. Where did that sort of myth and legend get its origin? Well, I think that it goes back to um, a residual myth that higher protein, and everything's relative. When we say higher protein, that means higher than the minimum requirement for health, um, was seen as hard on the liver because the liver has to metabolize the protein. Well, yes, that's what it does. Um, And then the kidneys filter it. Well, so what? That's what the kidneys do. And so there's some confusion. We always have creatinine in our blood as part of muscle turnover. And then if someone has kidney failure, for whatever reason, the creatinine levels will rise. And I think Mm. people thought that by giving all this extra creatine, it would kind of overload the organ's ability to manage it. Uh So that's just never proven. In fact, it's been disproven. Uh And um, there is some evidence still uh, like you don't, back in the day, as you know, there used to be a loading phase. People said you had to take 20 grams for five days just to saturate the muscle. You can get there quickly yeah. by doing that. Um, you do risk a little bit of stomach cramping and some mm. people who are sensitive. So the new way of using it is just to use somewhere between three to five grams. And after a couple of weeks, the muscles will be saturated. Um, but there is still some evidence that, not some evidence, it's just the evidence is that the when you take it with a bit of carbohydrate, People used to use grape juice, but when you release a bit of insulin, there is that drag into the muscle a little more efficiently, but other studies have just used water and have sufficiently um, increased muscle content. So um, you could use it in water, you could throw it in your smoothie. Um, There's different ways to get it. But yeah, I remember those days (laughs) with the grape juice. Yeah, Yeah, religiously, that was what we used to do. So let's talk about yeah. the interesting stuff now. Creatine and and gut health. And then we can go into the gut-brain axis because this is really important. It's get, gaining momentum every day. People are really understanding this. So where, how does taking creatine apply when we're talking about not just bodybuilding or building muscle for the purpose of shedding fat, but the other health benefits that are, seem to be so prolific? Well, anything that maintains or promotes or optimizes energy production in cells is going to have overarching benefits. So if you're increasing energy production in the heart, your heart's going to pump better. You're going to have better energy production in the neurons. You're going to have better mental health. Um, And if you're going to support energy metabolism in the gut, you're going to have um, healthier enterocytes. so they need energy as well. Everyone knows, not everyone, mm-hmm. but when we talk about uh, requirements of fuel for enterocytes or, this, or the cells in the digestive tract, everyone focuses on glutamine and there's better is, they do use glutamine for fuel, but they also use creatine as well. So anything that increases energy efficiency and output is going to translate to better okay. overall health whether that's at the level of the cell and the organ or just the person overall. That makes sense. So that makes sense. when we're looking at, say, if all organs are made of the same stuff and creatine is helping heal, repair, and 
um, enhance the mm-hmm. viability of these cells, then surely that would be part of the recipe for, well, part of the recipe, not the whole recipe, to, you know, when somebody is suffering with leaky gut from a repair point of view. Yeah, so this is where you have to help people to not get distracted by sensationalism or maybe some of the bells and whistles on wherever social media, et cetera, and just kind of bring it back to kind of common sense. So if so, this yeah. So you've got we've got these cells linked together. One way to visualize is like a length of chain or maybe a length of pearls. So maybe pearls work better because they're side by side, Mm -hmm. and then. Um, so things go through the digestive tract into the blood system, into the circulation, into the lymph system through through the pearl or through the cell itself. That's called trans um, location. Um, and then if it's between the cells, it's called paratransport. So some things go between the cells, things that are really, really small, um, like aspirin or ASA, that's very, very small, it can pass between the cells. Proteins normally don't, viruses don't, et cetera. So the, the gate between those cells is called the tight junctions. And so the gut is porous to some degree, depending on what's going on. But if, we, if somebody's got you know, celiac disease or IBD, or they've got other things going on that might be causing some gut irritation. It could be dysbiosis. It could be a parasite. That border that is compromised and things get in, as you say, and it can drive inflammation, a whole bunch of things. So if a person is malnourished or if a person is fighting something, the cells want to work harder. And in order to work harder, it has to have the things that it needs. So it needs the building blocks, it needs energy, et cetera. So this is how creatine can help with those gut disorders um, because you're helping the cell, the, the, the gut cells, um, with their energy needs for the repair and maintenance of whatever they're dealing with. So that's how it can help with with gut health. People don't really think about it in that way because it's just never been focused on. It's it's really in its infancy in terms of for sure. awareness. That makes complete sense. And you know, I know we're all focused on L-glutamine and the mucosal layer and building up, you know, barrier. But yeah, it makes complete sense that we're all made up of the same meat, whatever organ we're talking about, whether it's a muscle cell or a, or a colon, and giving your body the tools it needs is makes utter sense, especially, you know, people who suffer from from gut issues with low stomach acid tend not to eat enough protein because they feel they can't digest. And, Mm -hmm. you know, first sign of aging is sarcopenia. And why? Because we believe, well, there's a, as you know, a lot of people who believe they shouldn't be eating red meat. But again, many people battle with digestion and it's just a a knock-on effect, you know, whether it starts with low stomach acid and ends up being uh, all sort of colitis down the line because we're just not giving our body the tools it needs and the immune system it needs to repair and protect us. Um, You know, these, this is, it's just, it's like watching a train wreck. Um, But if you understand that, you know, there are ways and means of, of giving your body the tools, it really knows how to fix you. Our bodies are super clever when it comes to, you know, keeping us healthy and strong. It's what they're designed to do if we give them the tools. And yes, there's so much, so much confusion out there um, and so much marketing and people are very confused about what they should be taking and spend, you know, so much money on promises when the very basics are what, what needs to be done, I think. Yeah, it is a really foundational approach. And I think people, 
without thinking about it, maybe they don't haven't taken the time to think about it. Um, they think, well, how can cre creatine helps muscles? How can it help brain health or gut health? And again, one way to think of it maybe is just, you know, you're think of it like electricity. I don't know if that, that analogy helps. Right? Yeah. So if the cell's got the electricity it needs to operate, then the, the muscle cells are going to contract. And if you make them contract harder, they'll get bigger. So how can that, how can creatine then turn around and help a neuron or a gut cell? Well, because the gut cell wants to produce proteins to maintain the gut tight junction. Um, and it's other features like transporting things from the digestive tract into the circulation. Those require transport proteins. And so it needs electricity mm. to do its job, just like, you know, you can have a doctor and you can have a dentist, two different jobs, but they, you know, they might need the same electricity to have the lights on in their office. I mean, I'm just making this up. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good analogy, yeah. but it's just allowing the cells, as you say, um, in their wisdom, a.k.a. You know the the DNA that's turned on in that respective cell that's trying to do its job. So that those genes, those genes, you know. So your, I mean, looking at your website, your specific focus is is brain health, and I'm assuming that would involve aging well, um, health span. As we be, it's turning into a cliche, but it is health span. It's about aging well, not just aging for long. Yes. Um, and also what I'm seeing is, is brain issues with much younger people, concentration issues, starting in teens, inability to remember basic things. And this is so multidimensional. What is your approach in your practice when somebody, I suppose most people don't come to you saying, well, I've got an, a brain issue or an attention deficit issue. They come to you saying, I'm not feeling well, I'm tired, I'm not concentrating, or I've got a weight issue. And very quickly you can pick up, is there a cognitive imbalance? You know, whether it's questionnaires, whether it's blood tests, whether it's DNA tests, whether it's just talking to somebody, you can very quickly pick up Mm -hmm. Is electricity firing? So I'd be very keen to find out from your perspective, firstly, the interest in brain health and where this started for you and what you're seeing and what's really interesting to you in your practice. So, yeah, I used to work in diabetes and kidney disease and in private practice, I was a bit of a generalist and kind of got, started getting interested in gut health. But then I changed jobs completely and I got into outpatient psychiatry and then started working at a psychiatric a mental health and addictions hospital. So then when I was there, I started, you know, my focus changed. I wasn't seeing people with kidney disease because it wasn't an acute care hospital, uh, psychiatrically acute. So then I started looking at the role of nutrition on uh -huh. brain health. And then I had already known of the gut-brain access, but then just dive, dove mm -hmm. into that uh, deeper to understand that intimate connection. And so um, that's kind of where that is the word a moniker, that kind of whatever branding came yeah. from gut brain. So um, I really see them as one entity because they are inextricably linked. Um, and you're right, people don't come in. It, it's tricky because someone might come in with a gut issue, but you know that whatever always say you can't have the health of one at the expense of another. So anything that improves gut health is going to have a positive mm. benefit on the brain mm. and vice versa. But um, yeah, people come in with one thing, but the body's integrated. And so um, 
you know, you, yeah, the way I work is, you know, people have to prioritize what their main concern is or what's affecting their health or their quality of life and then focus on that um, and maybe bring in some secondary priorities. But yeah, mental, I don't know. Yeah, the mental health stuff is, it's, it is increasing. Uh, and you say it is multifactorial. Um, but given my interest, there's no doubt. Um, I don't think any expert psychiatrist, nutritional psychiatrist, neurologist would um, deny the impact of uh, our food supply on, on mental health. Um, and I think that that's a big part of it. So, yeah. um, again, I do, <laughs> I do think there are less, we can't say junk food and bad food, then there's certainly going to be less healthy in terms of moving someone towards a goal of good mental health, less healthy patterns and choices and healthier, better patterns, dietary patterns yeah. and choices. So in your experience, what are the foods that really help people heal their brains? It's such a broad term, but what are your favorites? Yeah, so I, I always get tripped up because I kind of go back and forth between foods and nutrients. So you could pretty much use, we used to have four food groups. I like that kind of concept. People get it. Um, the, the ones that are really, really beneficial, um, and I always have to qualify this, is going to be animal foods. So I always prioritize animal foods. Mm -hmm. I'm an out and proud omnivore. Um, I think human beings thrive best on an omnivore diet. And when I say prioritize, I don't mean like breakfast is a you know 20 ounce steak. I just make sure that I'm getting good sources of a variety of animal foods throughout the day, every day, because they are going to bring in a lot of key nutrients needed for brain health. And if I kind of digress into nutrients, it's all the things that people may have heard about, like omega-3s. Um, there's a pseudo, it's not a B vitamin, but we, it gets group of B vitamins like choline, uh -huh. um, all the vitamins and minerals that, that make the mitochondria and the machinery work are really important. Um, and then there's some amino acids and not the least of which is creatine, which is found in abundantly in animal proteins, more so in things like beef um, and, yeah. and similar type of um, animals, I guess. Yeah. So some people might eat bison, some people might eat some game, that type of thing versus chicken. But um, it is found abundantly in animal proteins. And we know this, mm. this is vegans and vegetarians just have lower amounts of uh, creatine in their system and cells. So, I mean, just what you were saying, uh, by way of choline, amino acids, omega-3, I've always said eggs are a superfood. Yeah, yeah. It really is. You know, that's your ultimate brain food. Um, so thoughts around fasting and brain health. Um, I don't have a strong opinion. I haven't really delved into it, but I, when it comes to eating in general, and I'm sure people are just going to, would send me hate mail, but if you think about the way, and I'm not saying just because the things, the way humans used to exist is the right way. No one's saying that. But, um, you know, as you said, like people, we would go through periods of fasting, whether that was eating once a day or maybe three days, depending if people were able to forage and hunt an animal. Um, there is shifts in metabolism that help the body. This is where I think a lot of the fasting um, buzz is coming from. So 
uh, you know, as they say, that clears out debris, there's autophagy, you know, there's, there's a lot of different opinions around the real impact of fasting on those processes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, there, I think intuitively, I don't have evidence for this intuitively. I just think there's something, um, to be said for, um, reasonable spaces between eating. And so uh-huh. what I mean by that is, you know, maybe four to six hours. So a lot of people I meet are kind of nibbling all day. I don't know if that's negative long-term, you know, you're constantly having this influx of glucose and insulin. Mm-hmm. Some say it's hogwash, um, from a general eating point of view, a lot of people I meet in practice, if I ask them about hunger, they look at me with a puzzled expression. Um, because they're grazing and eating nonstop that they don't really appreciate physiological hunger. Um, and, and so I think there is a benefit to those kind of episodic periods of not eating. I think reasonably that could be four to six hours. Um, I'm not against longer periods of time restricted Uh eating or some, or some fasting a day a week type Mm -hmm. of thing. What is interesting is now that mainstream academics are getting on board it's kind of interesting because i had a professor in grad school who's kind of like a Uh world-renowned uh lipid guy stephen kunane so he he, we now know that when we age we always become insulin resistant including the brain and that glucose doesn't get into the brain as well so the brains are starving for energy and there's some mental health and pathophysiology that happens with that and so ketones, on the other yeah. hand, um, don't need to be transported into the brain like glucose does with a, a physical transport. They get in there through a concentration gradient. Yeah. So if we have higher ketones circulating in our brain, our body, they'll mm-hmm. diffuse into the brain and then the brain will gladly use those for energy. So I think there might be, of course, we're not going to have seniors <laughs> fasting, but I think the move will be more research looking into endogenous ketones. Um, there are some experiments using those types of ketone salts as beverages that can help reverse um, brain, the issues with insulin resistance. So coconut oil is a big fat. I don't know if you remember that with Alzheimer's disease. Well, it's got some medium chain triglycerides. So maybe going straight to an MCT oil would have a better effect. Um, I'm certainly, excited for the future on this so that was just kind of a brain dump of ideas i don't really have a a a solid answer for you but i i suspect there's 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 some unknown uh benefit that we just don't haven't figured out yet yeah exogenous ketones are really fascinating and i think yes you're a lot of more a lot more research has to be done because people think they can eat what they like take some MCT oil and they're in ketosis and it doesn't work like that. It's quite a specific application and it's not a license to just carry on eating whatever you feel like. You're going to have a glass of wine and a shot of uh, coconut oil and hope for the best. It's not, doesn't work. So just on that topic of, of using ketones as energy, you started off with diabetes patients and in your experience and your opinion, um, the link between high sugar consumption and brain degeneration is it an obvious factor when you when you've you know you've worked with everything from diabetic 
diabetic patients through to psychiatric patients. Those who have high sugar diets, is there a specific patient profile as opposed to when they sort of eat more of a whole food diet and eat more animal foods, including your omega-3s and your your anti-inflammatory fats? Do do you see a change? Yeah, in in private practice, I would. um, In in the healthcare system, no, just because the healthcare system is a bit broken in that there's not a lot of money put towards food. Uh So unfortunately, we don't see those benefits in hospital. Mm -hmm. It is a medication model. Um, And really, the idea is people kind of get in, they get stabilized, they leave. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think I think there's I mean, I, I think my approach is I don't know where the bulk of the evidence is. I think the approach really is about one of displacement. So the more whole foods you eat, you're going to displace a lot of so-called empty calories. You're going to bring in like high quality nutrition. Um, so I think that's, that for sure is going, is going to help. Um, but I think the, the more problematic uh, issue that the human race is facing is just the broken machinery, if you will. So um, yeah. we're inactive, we're, we have overnutrition, we are low in nutrients, and you pile that on top of the inevitable fact that all human beings become more insulin resistant starting in middle age. Um, mm-hmm. That's just going to to aggravate. It's, going to, it's not going to be for good brain health, whether we're talking dementia, but then also with mood disorders, nothing's going to work well if uh, the energy's not there. Like if your brain is a hundred watt light bulb and it's, you're only putting out 60 watts, you can't be your best self. You can't feel your best. You can't psychologically, spiritually, whatever works for you in terms of how you identify, it's just mm-hmm. not going to happen. Um, and I don't know, I should be, not, it shouldn't be common sense, but I think if people kind of frame it that way, yeah. they, it might resonate better. Um, at least I hope. Yeah, it it should be common sense that, you know, we, we throw around words like you are what you eat and you are what your food ate, but very few people connect the dots until they are hitting a crisis and they have no other choice. And we, a lot of people know that if you eat too many high calorie processed foods, you're going to put on body fat, but they don't realize their brain's connected to that body as well. You know, there's somewhere along the line, this is a separate entity. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like diet culture, I think is, you know, when I'm thinking of food quality, like people say to me, oh, like, you know, you, you can eat what you want, or you, obviously you don't have to worry and it's really from a perspective, because people understand weight. They don't understand maybe the underlying metabolic, that that's a manifestation of something a little deeper. So and whether that's diet culture or whatever, um, I think that one of the greatest issues or concerns with nutritional science is once we got out of the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and we understood and, and prevented overt clinical deficiencies, like nutrition hasn't caught up um, to the idea that, you know, the basics are not enough. And there's a lot of good research, if I'm allowed to yeah, mention other people's names. There's mm-hmm. Bruce Ames. He's got a great whole model about the nutrient triage of aging. So that model basically puts uh, puts a, the, basically the model is 
you have the body will do whatever it needs for short-term survival over long-term wellness. So you might get enough of a nutrient to prevent a deficiency and it's going to prioritize your heartbeat and breathing. It doesn't care what's happening at the cell. So it doesn't care if you, you know, you develop metabolic disease mm-hmm. 10 years later. And so what I'm getting at is, you know, we've we've got this idea that because we've prevented or reversed overt clinical deficiencies, diet's done all it's can it can. And then the next intervention is something medical like, you know, gene therapy or surgery or drugs. And there's certainly a time and place for that. But I think we're, we've certainly undersold the impact that the diet has to overcome a whole bunch of things. Yeah, it does feel like we haven't progressed past the idea on the cereal box. That's what people don't realize. That's just the basics needed for survival on its most fundamental and basic level. It doesn't mean you're going to do well with that. Um, yeah. And this is. Yeah, so we don't have rickets, big deal. We have straight bones, straight legs, yeah. but, you know, all the other reasons, all the other 2000 genes or so that need vitamin D are just kind of sitting there with their hand out waiting to get their fair share and they're not getting it. Uh-huh. So the bones are happy, at least they're straight, but um, yeah, just feels like we still have a long way to go. Yeah, they're not going to carry you into old age, though, even though they grew straight. No. Begin, right? <laughs> sure. So, just before we wrap up, what would you say your top three tips for somebody listening to this who's starting to feel, you know, they feel the years coming on. They feel they're not as astute as they might be. They can't concentrate or remember things. Um, they don't have the energy they once had. What are your biggest, quickest, most obvious common sense problem solvers for somebody who's starting to go, something's not right? Well, I, you know, as much as I like nutrition, I, I think inactivity kind of trumps everything so i would want people to move 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 in any way they can uh walking's great but you kind of have to get it go Mm -hmm. a little further um so that would be one thing you kind of want to prime i think activity is great because it primes the machinery to kind of rev up and then you have to give the body um, my approach is always is like you start with the foundation. I use this analogy. No one's told me it sucks or it's yes. horrible. So I'm assuming it works. But if you think of renovating a house, like there's no sense renovating the kitchen, making it pretty if you have a cracked foundation. Right. So I always like to start with the and it's boring. So it's not the latest supplement or herb, but you have to start with the foundational stuff. So um from a high uh, general health point of view, sleep is is trumps everything. Um, and then activity is really, really important to kind of prime the system. And then you kind of have to nourish the system. Mm-hmm. So um, I think vitamins and minerals and then how that gets in there is through, you know, wholesome food. But I'm a big believer in judicious or targeted supplementation. Uh-huh. Um, so I think everyone would benefit from a cellular energy point of view from B vitamins and magnesium, yeah. um, which I won't get into because that goes back to <laughs> university, um, yeah. glycolysis and Krebs cycle. Yeah. Um, and creatine is part of that as well. It's to me, it's the most underrated so-called anti-aging health span promoting longevity supplements out there. Absolutely. Um, good quality protein and creatine. I mean, mm. people are really missing an opportunity. Mm. 
I find it really ironic and kind of amusing that there's so much of a move to people eating or buying expensive collagen supplements when your creatine and your basic protein is just going, it's going to make the collagen anyway, intrinsically. Um, and we're always looking for the next, you know, most popular, biggest promise supplement out there, but we've got the machinery within us intrinsically if we just feed it right. And yes, we've got to move. You know, if your body's getting the message that you're not moving, it's getting the message that you're dying. So it's going to switch off everything. You know, it's going to preserve energy. And, you know, moving makes energy. Um, Yeah. 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 Yeah, Moving makes energy. It preserves all the good stuff. And then, um, like, yeah, I mean, we had no choice in our early days as a species. We had to move. no animal wants to move unless it has to. That's why a lion just kind of sits on the Serengeti until it has to eat an antelope. But everything moves to a lower state. So unfortunately, we have to build that in um, into our life somehow. But you're right. Yeah. 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 Energy. Yeah. If inactivity just tells like it's a computer to go into sleep mode. I don't know. That's exactly it. Yeah. The brain, everything goes into sleep mode. And then it's really hard to yeah. pull yourself out of this. Um, yeah. Mm. Okay. So, Doug, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a fascinating discussion, and I'm obviously going to put all of your links onto the the show notes so that people can contact you directly and you know, get in contact if they want to make an appointment or consult with you. And of course, um, subscribe to your podcast, which is absolutely fascinating. I've been enjoying it thoroughly, and. Yeah, thank you for doing what you're doing. It's you know one person at a time, hopefully more than one person at a time. We can reach many people through these channels. Um, and yeah, keep changing the world with this consistent message that we've just, it's, it's so basic, it's so simple, but we don't do it because we're looking for, I don't know, the complicated way out. It's not complicated. Yeah, no, it was a great opportunity. I'm glad you reached out. I had fun talking about this stuff. And uh yeah, it is really simple. Um, I don't know about human psychology, like we like the, the latest trend or whatever, but um, back to basics or get the foundational stuff going, as you say. Yeah. So, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you once again for joining me for another episode of the Reinvent Health podcast. As usual, all of my guests' details can be found in the show notes page on Apple Podcast, Anchor, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Please don't forget to rate on Apple and leave a review.